to Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8. A defiled temple. If you have a pew Bible, you find it on page 1,295. 1,295. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. And I looked, and there was a likeness, like the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his waist and downward fire, and from his waist and upward, like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. He stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my hair. And a spirit lifted me up between heaven, between earth and heaven, and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. Behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. And he said to me, Son of man, Lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north. And there, north of the altar gate, was this image of jealousy in the entrance. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary? Now turn again. You will see greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, And in their midst stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols. For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Turn again. And you will see greater abominations that they are doing. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. To my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Thomas. And they said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, you will see greater abominations than these. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were worshiping the sun toward the east. And he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. Then they have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I also will act in fury. 
my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. So far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Canada seems to be a nation that has become known for its tolerance. We accept those of every culture, color, and nationality. Frequently, you will hear comments on the radio in which our tolerance is applauded. We do not discriminate, show partiality, or favoritism. Canadians are considered to be very accommodating. But congregation, in the midst of a society that applauds the virtue of tolerance, we need to remember as God's people that there are certain things that the Lord God does not tolerate. Showing love and compassion to people of other races, cultures, colors, and classes is a good thing. The Lord does not show favoritism to any particular ethnic group. He's not partial to any specific nationality, and neither should we be. However, for professing Christians to accept the religion of other cultures is quite another matter. The Lord is very intolerant when it comes to false worship. In the second commandment of the Decalogue, he said, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Multi-faith worship services are an abomination in his sight. Syncretistic worship is an abomination. Pluralist theology that accepts other religions of the world as valid is unacceptable to the Lord. Theologians who accept Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Roman Catholicism, or Judaism as legitimate paths to God are a disgrace to the name of Christianity. Those who suggest that there is more than one way of salvation, more than one way to the Father and to life eternal are an offense to the Lord. Theologians who maintain that Jesus Christ is just one of many paths one of many ways to have a relationship with God are self-deceived. There are certain things that God does not tolerate. He does not tolerate idolatry, images, man-made religion, any system of salvation that is in place of or in addition to or alongside of the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. In the book of Ezekiel, God's intolerance is repeatedly emphasized. He became extremely anger, angry with his people for accepting the religions of other cultures. He became furious with Judah because they did not trust in him alone. In this eighth chapter of Ezekiel, we are again reminded of Judah's unfaithfulness in a vision. In a vision, the Lord took the prophet on a guided tour of the temple. And as he did so, he pointed out to Ezekiel how his dwelling place was defiled. Today, as we consider this chapter, I want us to look at it in four sections corresponding to the four abominations which Ezekiel saw in the temple. The introduction and the first abomination are in verses 1 through 6. The second abomination is described in verses 7 to 13. 
The third in verses 14 and 15, and the fourth is in verses 16 through 18. We begin with the introduction and the first abomination recorded in verses 1 through 6. We notice from verse 1 that 14 months have passed since Ezekiel received his first vision of the glory of God. The first vision occurred in the year 592, in the fourth month, five years after his deportation to Babylon. The vision of chapter 8 occurred in the sixth year, in the sixth month. That means that 14 months passed since the first vision. During those 14 months, Ezekiel had been lying on his left side for 390 days and on his right side for 40 days, symbolizing the weight of God's judgment upon Israel and Judah. He had been living on a starvation diet, a cup of food per day and two cups of water, symbolizing the starvation that would come upon Jerusalem as a result of the coming siege. As we come to chapter 8, we see that the elders of Judah have gathered at his house. The elders of Judah, who were also in Babylon, heard about Ezekiel's conduct and they had probably gathered together at his home to get a more detailed explanation of what he was doing. The exiles by the river Chebar had a, a fair amount of freedom, and therefore they were able to come together at Ezekiel's home for an elders meeting. Most likely they had come to inquire of the Lord through him. They were curious about their future and the future of Jerusalem. Their own future as exiles depended on the future of Judah's capital. As they met in Ezekiel's home, the prophet was suddenly gripped by the power of God. Verse 1b says, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me. Now look with me please in your Bibles to verse 2. Verse 2. What he saw is described here. Then I looked, and there was a likeness like the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his waist and downward, fire, and from his waist and upward, like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. The same glory that he saw 14 months earlier was before him once again. Ezekiel was conscious of the presence of God. The sovereign Lord of Israel had a message to communicate to him. As he was sitting in his chair, he suddenly felt as though, verse 3, the Lord was pulling him up into the sky by his hair. In chapter 5, we saw that Ezekiel had shaved himself bald, symbolizing how the Lord is going to cut off the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Apparently, his hair had now regrown, and Ezekiel felt the sensation of being lifted up by his hair between earth and heaven. Verse 3 tells us that it was the Spirit who transported him in a visionary way to the city of Jerusalem. Without ever leaving his house by the river Chebar, the Lord enabled him to be brought in visions to Jerusalem. Physically, he remained seated among the elders in his home. But in his vision, he became a visitor to the city of God in his beloved homeland. But congregation, the visionary trip to Jerusalem turned out to be a terrible, terrible disappointment. For the things that Ezekiel saw were both infuriating and heartbreaking. 
As the Lord took him on a guided tour of the temple, evidence of Judah's sin could be seen everywhere, everywhere. The Jerusalem temple had three gates, from the outer to the inner court. These gates faced north, south, and east. According to verse 3, the Spirit of God brought Ezekiel to the door of the north gate of the inner court. And what did he see there? Two things. Two things that are completely incompatible. Two things that cannot exist side by side. Things that should never be seen in the same house. What do I mean? Well, first of all, the end of verse 3 says that by the north gate of the temple, Ezekiel saw the seat of the image of jealousy which provokes to jealousy. At the gate of the temple stood some kind of idol, probably an image of Asherah. Asherah was the Canaanite goddess of love, an image of lust. You'll recall that during the reign of King Manasseh, an image of Asherah had been set up in the temple. 2 Kings 21 verse 7 says, Manasseh set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the temple. In Deuteronomy 12, the Lord had commanded the nation of Israel to burn their Asherim and destroy their name from the land. And in Deuteronomy 16, the Lord specifically instructed them never to set an Asherah near God's altar. Manasseh defiantly went against the word of the Lord, made himself this Canaanite goddess of love, and set it up in the temple. During the reign of righteous King Josiah, this image was removed from the temple, brought down to the Brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned and ground up into powder. However, after the death of Josiah, it seems this image was once again set up in the temple of the Lord. The kings who followed Josiah were all evil. They followed in the footsteps of Manasseh by setting up this Canaanite goddess of love. Verse 3 refers to it as what? An image of jealousy, since it provoked divine jealousy. The image represented a denial of Judah's covenant vows and thus provoked God to jealousy. But then notice the second thing that Ezekiel saw as he stood by the north gate. Go with me to verse 4. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. You see, Ezekiel not only saw an idol, but he also saw the presence of God's glory. The Lord of Israel was present in his temple. Congregation, this is a very striking scene. The only thing that Ezekiel should have seen was the glory of God. After all, this was God's house, God's temple. No other gods were permitted in his house or in his presence. The Lord cannot dwell in the same temple with an idol. If a false god is allowed to stand in the temple, then the true God will depart. If a false god is shown honor, then the true God will remove his glory. In verse 6, the Lord said to Ezekiel, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary? In other words, 
Do you see, Ezekiel, how they're driving me out of my own house, driving me away from my sanctuary? Do you see how, they, how little they value my presence, my love, and my covenant, how little they value me? Do you see, Ezekiel, how little they value my salvation? Brothers and sisters, the Lord cannot dwell in the same temple with an idol. If the idol is not removed, the Lord will depart. The glory of the God of Israel will depart. And that was not only true for Israel in the Old Testament, but it's also true for the church today and for individual members of the church. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you hold fast to those things in your life that are more important to you than the Lord, if you cling to the false gods of our day, if you fail to sweep the idols out of your temple, then the true God will depart. If you defile the temple in some way and do not repent, the Lord will remove His presence. He will depart from a church or from individuals that continue in their unfaithfulness. He cannot remain in the same house with an idol. What did the Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians 3.17? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Paul said that the defilement of the New Testament temple is a capital offense. He who defiles God's temple will be destroyed by God then please consider once again, congregation, whether your heart is divided. Consider whether you are unwilling to give up sin, whether your mind and body are reserved for God alone. Are you prepared to sweep out the temple, to sweep it clean? Or are you going to drive the Lord out of his sanctuary? If you're not willing to live by his word, then the Lord will depart. He will not share his honor with another. The glory of the God of Israel will depart from the church and from individual members. And on the day of judgment, he will say to such people, you have driven me away, and now I am driving you away. I am driving you away for eternity. You have driven me from my sanctuary, and now I am driving you away from my heavenly sanctuary. You did not value my love, my covenant, and my salvation. You did not value me. Now I am driving you away for eternity. The Lord God will destroy those who defile his temple. Well, then there's also a second abomination, which is described in verses 7 to 13. Point number two. After showing Ezekiel the image of jealousy, the Lord said to him, Now turn again, and you will see greater abominations. Look with me in your Bibles, please, to verses 7 through 9. Verses 7 through nine. So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, 
There was a hole in the wall, verse 8. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door, verse 9. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. The Lord led Ezekiel to a secret chamber in the temple, a place that was not easily visible to those who did not know it was there. It was a chamber in which Ezekiel saw more wickedness. The image of jealousy was grievous enough. But what Ezekiel saw in that secret chamber added to his grief. First, he saw that the walls of this room were covered with pictures or carvings of all kinds of creatures. Go to verse 10. So I went in and saw, and there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. All around on the walls of this hidden chamber were animals, many of which were considered unclean according to Old Testament dietary laws. These animals were worshipped and reverenced as gods. In the ancient world, animals were often worshipped as gods, especially in Egypt, animals were considered divine. That's also true today in certain countries. In India, for example, devout Hindus will not kill rats for it is contrary to their religious beliefs. They believe that rats, along with other forms of animal life, are manifestations of the one universal, nameless, unknowable force. All is God and God is all. I once saw an article on the prolific rat. It was estimated that they ate approximately 20% of India's food supply each year. Enough grain to fill a, a train of freight cars extending from Los Angeles to 300 miles beyond New York City into the Atlantic Ocean. People are dying from hunger, but they won't kill the rats because of their religious beliefs. If India would change its religion, its food supply would dramatically Increase, that is a fact. False gods can be very cruel masters. Well, the people of Judah were involved in the worship of beasts. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They turned away from the creator and worshipped the creature. But secondly, not only was it grievous that they were worshiping beasts, but it must have been especially grievous to Ezekiel to see who the ringleaders were. Verse 11 says that within this chamber there were 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in their midst stood who? Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan. The elders of the house of Israel, who should have been spiritual pillars, were worshiping these beasts. Seventy of these men were offering worship to these pictures or carvings. The leadership was corrupt, unfaithful, apostate. And the man at the center of it all was a person named Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Jazaniah came from a reputable family in Jerusalem. His father... Shaphan served as a scribe under the godly king Josiah. 
And one of his brothers was a defender of the prophet Jeremiah, who was Ezekiel's contemporary. Jazaniah's brother defended Jeremiah so that he was not put to death by the hand of the people. Therefore, Jazaniah must have been raised with godly influences, raised in a faithful Judean family. But he departed from the faith of his father and brother to be a leader in animal worship. What a sad departure from the truth. This was a man who knew the truth of the word, who knew the requirements of God's law, but he made a choice, and that choice was to worship the creature rather than the creator. How tragic it is, brothers and sisters, when a person departs from the instruction of a faithful family and instead becomes a leader in false worship. How heartbreaking it is when a person forsakes the truth and embraces the lie of Satan. I'm sure many of us could give illustrations of people we know who are raised in faithful families, in covenant homes where God was worshipped in truth, only to forsake the word and follow the lie of Satan. How heartbreaking when covenant people forsake the true worship of God. Young people and children, beware, beware that you are never led astray by the evil one. Hold fast to God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then congregation, this scene also leaves us with a question, doesn't it? Why are Jezaniah and the 70 elders worshiping in secret? Why the secrecy? If the nation of Judah was spiritually healthy, we would understand why they were worshiping in secret. During the reign of godly Josiah, they would have been executed. But after the death of Josiah, there was no need for secrecy. For as we saw in the first six verses, paganism was openly practiced. Why then the secrecy? It's difficult to determine with absolute certainty, but it seems the answer is something like this. The image that was publicly displayed was a Canaanite goddess. The worship of beasts in the secret chamber was the worship of Egyptian gods. Now, Jerusalem had come under the authority of Nebuchadnezzar in 597. The 70 elders, hoping that they would be released from Babylonian control, turned secretly to Egypt for help. They thought that Egypt could help to deliver them, and thus they turned to the worship of Egypt's gods in secret. The irony of it all, congregation, is that years earlier, years earlier when Israel made their exodus from Egypt, Yahweh revealed his superiority over all the Egyptian gods. Now... Jazaniah and the 70 elders were turning back to the very gods whom the Lord had severely humiliated in the Exodus. It's also striking that shortly after the Exodus, when God declared his covenant with Israel, there were also 70 elders who appeared before the Lord with Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. 70 elders participated in the covenant ceremony at Sinai. Now, some 850 years later, when Israel was threatened by Babylon, 70 elders turned, of all places, back to Egypt. 
They looked for salvation to Egypt. They turned to the very place where they had been enslaved for 430 years. How absurd it was to think that they could find help in Egypt. Verse 12 says that they thought the Lord did not see them and that the Lord had forsaken the land. Therefore, they sought refuge in the gods of Egypt. Congregation, are there times when you turn back to your old way of life because you think that God is not with you? You turn back to the ways of sin because you see no help coming from Him. You turn back to your life of slavery because you feel as though God has forsaken you. If you do, you are only multiplying your problems. It is God alone who is able to deliver. Well, then there's also a third abomination in this chapter, which we find in verses 14 and 15. The Lord showed Ezekiel not only the image of jealousy and the worship of beasts, but also the worship of Thomas. The worship of Thomas. Please look with me in your Bibles to verse 14. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Thomas. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Thomas was a god of plant life. Every fall, when the leaves fell off the trees and the crops died, it was thought that Thomas died. His death was mourned in the fall when the plants died. In the spring, when the leaves began to sprout and the crops began to grow, it was thought that Thomas was risen from the dead. In the spring, his resurrection was celebrated. What Ezekiel saw in verse 14 was Israelite women participating in pagan rituals. They were going through the fall custom of mourning the death of Thomas and longing his return the following spring. They were doing so at the entrance to God's sacred sanctuary, weeping for another God at the entrance to God's sanctuary. Congregation, these women missed some very important truths, didn't they? First, it is Yahweh who causes the crops to grow and the leaves to sprout. It is Yahweh who brings the harvest. Second, Yahweh is the living God. The women were grieving the death of their God, but Yahweh is the living God. He's alive in the fall. He's alive in the spring. He's the God of all creation. These women had forsaken the living God for a dead God. If they had only served Yahweh, they could have wiped their tears away. The true God was present in his sanctuary, but they sat and wept at the door of the north gate. Then there's also a fourth abomination revealed in this vision. After showing Ezekiel the image of jealousy, the worship of beasts and the worship of Thomas. The Lord brought Ezekiel to the inner court of the Lord's house where he showed him another scene of extreme wickedness. Verse 16 tells us that at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men, presumably priests, for the area between the altar and the porch was only for priests. 
What were these 25 men doing? They were standing with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And what were they doing with their faces toward the east? The end of verse 16 says they were worshiping the sun. The worship of the sun had taken place at various times in Israel's history, but here it was at the very entrance to the holy place. The priests were standing with their backs to the Lord and their faces toward the sun in the east. The priests should have been facing west, facing God's sanctuary, standing between the porch and the altar. They should have been praying for God's mercy and forgiveness for his people. But instead of facing the west, they faced the east. And they looked expectantly to the morning sun for blessing. They turned their back on the Lord and worshipped his creation, the work of men's hands. Brothers and sisters, what we see in this chapter is that every segment of society participated in false worship. Every segment of society participated in false worship. The common people worshiped the image of Asherah. The 70 elders worshiped the beasts of the earth. The women worshiped the god of plant life. And the priests worshiped the sun. Every segment of society participated in false worship. And their worship was syncretistic. They blended together the gods of Canaan, the gods of Egypt, and the gods of the Near East. But the living God of Israel was not impressed. Read verse 17. He said to Ezekiel, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? And then he goes on to say, no, it's not a trivial thing at all. They have provoked me to anger. The end of verse 17 says, indeed, they put the branch to their nose putting the branch to their nose in verse 17 was probably a ritual associated with their idolatrous worship. God says, because you have done this, verse 18, therefore I also will act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. People of God, what we need to understand is that the nation of Judah, by bringing all these idols into the temple, was saying that Jesus Christ was not the only way of salvation. For what was the temple a symbol of, a shadow of? It was a shadow of the Messiah. The temple proclaimed the gospel. It declared the atonement and the doctrine of substitution. The temple proclaimed the message that sinners could be restored to God through the shedding of blood. By showing affection for other gods, the people of Judah were rejecting the saving gospel. By facing east instead of west, the priests were rejecting the good news. It was only through the sacrifice and the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat that atonement could be made. In the Old Testament, in their office and ministry, priests were intended to foreshadow the supreme high priest. 
as they offered sacrifices for sin and interceded for God's people, they pointed to Christ who would make the ultimate sacrifice and serve as the ultimate mediator. But these priests failed miserably. Because they turned their back on the only way of salvation, the Lord said, My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. So, congregation, we need to ask ourselves, are we fully committed to Christ? Or, as we considered last week, do we have our own idols? Are we affected by the false gods of humanism? Are we enamored with the false gods of materialism? When God looks upon His temple today, the church, does He clearly see divided loyalties? Does He see the worship of self, the worship of pleasure, the worship of possessions? Does he see that the hearts of God's people are not completely devoted to him? Does he see a defiled temple? When God looks upon you as an individual, what does he see? Are there idols in your home, idols in your closet, idols on your computer screen, idols in your heart? Does he see that you worship and serve the creation in some way rather than the creator? Does he see that Jesus Christ is not first and foremost in your life? Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that our possessions, wealth, or pleasures of the world cannot save us. Only Jesus Christ can save Whatever our idols might be, we need to repent of them and turn to Christ without delay. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is that intolerant? Narrow-minded? So be it. It is the way of life eternal. No one comes to the Father except through me. Children, young people, do you love the gospel? Do you love the message of the cross? Do you love Jesus Christ? Are you trusting His saving work? Remember, without Him, God will not hear your cries. He will not spare you. He will have no pity. Without Jesus Christ, you provoke the Lord to anger. And so I call each one of us here today to inspect the temple. Is it purged, swept, cleansed? As you go home this evening and eat your meal, use the opportunity to ask your family, use the opportunity to ask your children, what are some of the idols that stand between us and our Savior? Examine your heart. Examine your home. Inspect the church. 
and then congregation through faith in Jesus Christ. May we be a people who are pleasing to the Lord. May we love him, serve him, and rest our confidence for eternity in Jesus Christ alone. Let us pray. Lord, we recognize again that these words penned by the prophet Ezekiel are not warm and fuzzy difficult words to hear. They call us to self-examination today. We think of your people who foolishly turned away from the living God. Lord, we plead with you that the Spirit of God would so fill us and direct us and convict us that we would live for you alone, that the idols would be torn from our hearts. And that, Lord, we would have that single-minded focus of living for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ and taking great pleasure in the message of salvation. We pray, Lord, that you will enable us as we go from this place and as we go to our homes to reflect upon these things to honestly examine our own lives, our own hearts, our own homes, and our own church, to see whether there are things or attitudes that need to be changed and brought under the Lordship of Christ. We thank you for our covenant-keeping Savior. We praise you for the hope that we have in him. Receive our songs as we conclude the service in his name. Amen.